At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. just downloaded the 258th episode of the fly fishing consultant podcast this episode is brought to you by corker's footwear this episode brings us to spokane washington we're going to talk with josh mills about his life as a fly tire and angler we're going to learn about his work to save wild steelhead and his recent fundraising efforts after some natural disasters in the caribbean and in australia please let me know if you think he sounds like burt kreischer I want to give a shout out to Dave D. Eugenio and Kevin McKay. They listened to the most recent podcast and sent me suggestions on fly fishing, Southern Florida and the Florida Keys. And for Greg P., who won my Dozen for Dorian donation, and MCQ1020 on Instagram. Both of you, I need to get your contact information to send you the flies. Greg, I bring them to every beer tie. I can drop them off at one of the local fly shops, too. This podcast is brought to you by Corkers which is my preference for wading boots. They're lightweight, they're comfortable, they have interchangeable soles, there's no dirty or frozen laces to deal with at the end of the day. Visit corkers.com for more information and to learn about these following technologies. The first technology is Omnitrax, a patented swappable outsole system so you can adjust your traction on the fly to suit the terrain. The traction property is Klingon, a proprietary high-friction rubber designed to excel in and out of the water for when felt is not an option. Internal drainage. Water flows through internal channels, then out midsole ports, removing excess water and weight. And finally, hydrophobic materials for fast drying to increase comfort and reduce the spread of invasive species. Let's go to Spokane, Washington now, and we're going to talk to Josh Mills, otherwise known online as Mills Fly. 
We have with us Josh Mills. Josh, where are you checking in with us today? Uh, I'm out here in eastern Washington near the Idaho border in Spokane, Washington. So, yeah, you know, we're kind of we're, we're definitely removed from Seattle and, and Portland and stuff like that. We are uh, about 30 miles from the Idaho border. I fished Lake Pondere coming oh, from Portland once. So I went through Spokane. Really? Yeah. Really? That is that is such a massive piece of water. It's I mean, it is, you know, it's got some big fish in there. It's got yeah, a right. really weird chunk of biodiversity as well. I should see um, I fished a tributary to it. Oh. Oh, the Clark Fork. I don't know. We ate dinner right on the Clark Fork though. It's some yeah, woman's I mean, house slash restaurant. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For those listening that may not follow you on social media, is there a celebrity that you may resemble that people can picture in their mind? <laughs> oh God. I remember I had a girl in college tell me one time I looked like Tom Green and I was unaware if that was either a, a good or a bad thing, but she told me it was good, but I don't know. But I did have somebody try to tell me one time I looked like and this is, I don't, this is, it's even weird to say, but I guess in a younger Alec Baldwin, minus the Trump references uh, that he does right now, I suppose. Have you ever seen Miami Blues? No, I haven't. That's kind of a bizarre one he did back in the day. Oh, really? My parents used yeah, to take I... me to inappropriate movies when I was younger. <laughs> Oh, I, I just the one that I always laugh about because I'm in mostly in sales is is the derivatives of the Glenn Gary Glenn Ross speeches that you can give to most sales staff. First place, Cadillac. Second place, set of steak knives. Third place, you know you know the rest of that one. I've actually never seen the movie. Oh my god, it's it's a it's an intense uh, it's an intense flick for sure. We were watching um, Gus last night on Disney. Plus. Okay. Okay. My daughter did not want to watch that, so tonight we watched Fairy Tale, a true story. Oh my, that uh, yeah. Somehow, like I have boys that are uh, six and nine years old, and somehow we ended up at the second Frozen movie a while back, and I was just like, uh, "What are we doing here? What are we doing here?" Yeah, it We're had nice colors to it. It had nice colors in the movie. That's what I like about the Frozen ones. They're like Nordic. Oh my gosh, let's watch the Schwarzenegger movie from the eighties. <laughs> Totally understand. Yeah. Totally understand. So from what yeah. I gather, you got into all this because you once caught a cutthroat on a fly. My, uh, yeah. So, you know, I've, gr I've grown up uh, hunting and fishing, and thankfully I, was, I, was, uh, I grew up in a family, especially within my father and my uncles and everybody around us. We always liked to, to hunt and fish. Gear fished the majority of my life growing up and uh, kind of a skewed fly fishing because it just wasn't part of what we did and didn't have a ton of, I don't know, we just weren't in that world. And then when I remember, I think it was like 18 or 19 or just towards the end of high school or something, and my dad went out to a local lake and he had started to pick up fly fishing. You know, eastern Washington or, you know, parts of uh, Oregon or Idaho, we've got some really good lake fly fishing. Well, we had, he had a buddy that showed him kind of the way, and uh, he went out to this local lake and he comes back and I'm like, well, how many did you get? You know, he's like, I don't know, like 25. And, you know, my jaw hit the floor. So I was just like, okay, 
I'll give this a whirl and, you know, started to learn the basics, but I didn't know what the hell I was doing for the most part. And it all kind of, it all kind of cauterized and really kind of came together. We took, uh, my dad and I took a trip to the Elk River up in uh, near Fernie, uh, Fernie, uh, British Columbia. And it's cutthroat heaven. And I can, I can literally picture myself on the cut bank that uh, above the cut bank where it all kind of came together. Like it is when, uh, when a kid learns how to ride his bike and, uh, and all of a sudden it just kind of snaps into place. And, and all of a sudden this dumb cutthroat thankfully took pity on me and, and away we went from there. And I think I was probably 19 when we took that trip. And I, I remember it distinctly because back then, uh, you know, I could get into the bar. The first time I had a, I had a beer at the bar with my father because uh, it was 19 or something like that in, in B.C. at the time, ordering Coconese and having a great old time. And I'm like, yep, I'm going to do this all the time forever. This is rad. I, I'm, I'm, I'm down. Did your wife know what she was getting into? You, you know, I don't. I don't think so specifically. And I remember I, we always we have a joke. My wife and I, Callie, she has got a joke with, with regard to you know when we were sitting down on our first initial dates, and and I was we we first started dating. I think I was we were just done with college. She graduated from Washington State University. I graduated from a, a school in Spokane called Whitworth here, and uh, and we both started you know kind of you, you get to know you questions right. And I remember, uh, what do you think about hunting? Cool. What do you think about fishing? Cool. Do you like to fish? Oh, I used to fish with my dad all the time. I'm like, check, check, check. That's good. And now she just kind of rolls her eyes. <laughs> she thinks I duped her. because. But I, at the same time, said, I'm like, wait a minute. You said that you said that I, we were, I'm like, this is not what you told me. You told me you fished. You told me you used to fish all the time. But it's it's a, it's good because we've got a uh, we've got a great partnership and our boys are are growing up like weeds and she uh, she understands my need uh, to be out in the stream or looking for steelhead or you know rowing my drift boat or my raft down a river looking for trout or bass or whatever is available for me. What brought you from kid in the bar in Fernie to having rafts and tying crazy steelhead flies and. Living the the fly fishing lifestyle, as I think it's just, it. yeah, you know, and and I think it has a lot to do with, you know, it's it's I found my rabbit hole, I found the thing that I love, I found that it, you know, we we are blessed. Besides the lakes, we've got great rivers out here in the west. Um, I'm within. I can be on the Clark Fork River uh, outside of uh, Missoula in two hours. I can be way over and, you know, in great cutthroat streams and in and, and, uh hour and a half from my house. The Spokane River, it goes through Spokane, is a bit of a sleeper. It's, it, it's right here in this, it's an urban fishery. And, um, you know, we just have such variety around here. I think really that what sucked me in was, I think we, when I first started fishing for steelhead on, on some of the southeast Washington rivers, like the like the Grand Ron or the, the Clearwater or the Snake, which are, you know, very famous. You don't really understand what a fish can, how bad it can turn you out until you, you catch a fish to the likes of a, you know, a 10, 12 pound steelhead. And, you know, I know each region has its has its keystone, you know, you know, you've got you guys are definitely have the, you know, the striper game or some of that saltwater stuff or some of the cool stuff that you get in some of the rivers. Uh, you know, I'm just even jealous of the, the stuff that you guys get to do on things like the Potomac. And the, you never yeah, just know what's going to be in there. That's just, I think it's so cool, yeah, right? I'm pretty sure I was casting to a tilapia last Friday. 
Yeah. It yeah, was twice definitely. as fat as a bluegill and right. almost the same, same size. Same size, right. And it just, I was looking down on it in crystal clear water and I could see it from the top, but not the sides. I'm like, right. there's no way that's a bluegill. <laughs> World record bluegill, right? <sighs> so I think, you know, it's, it's just, it's, I think, you know, as you, you know, venture into adulthood and you marry all the things that you loved as a kid and the adventure of going into wild places and using our public lands and and then really, really diving down the steelhead rabbit hole. It's kind of like I found my tribe. I found my I found my people. I found the sport that I love. And uh, I'm a bit of a junkie for wanting to be out and chasing fish. And, you know, at the same time, uh, there's there's a, definitely some hunting mixed in there, mostly mostly upland. I've got a good bird dog, and I like to turkey hunt. Just any time, it's like I can't sit at home on a, with a good day outside. It's just like, all right, let's ah, let's go do something. I feel like I feel like if you're sitting at home on a Saturday and just chilling out, I, I just, it drives me crazy. I re I re-energize through being outside. Did you have anybody help you along the way? Was you self-taught? Where did some of the, the techniques and tricks come from that you're able to sure. apply now? Sure. Um, well, first and foremost, uh, you know, my dad, uh, his name's, his name's Faye. Call him. He started, we started jokingly calling him old man river. Because uh, he's a little bit older than us, I'm 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 uh, on the doorstep of 40. I'm 39. He's he's 79, uh, but he's still out there hunting and fishing probably twice a week. So OMR it, first and foremost, you know, he was the guy that, you know, we bonded so much through my childhood through chasing pheasants or you know trolling on certain you know we have a lake cabin and 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 different things like that. Definitely him first and foremost. And then, you know, it was, you know, developing some friendships through the local fly shops around Spokane, the Silver Bow, uh, which is a great local fly shop, or, you know, North 40 Outfitters here in, uh, which has multiple locations. Just getting plugged into that community, right? And because especially within, within regard to fly fishing, because it can be a little weird at first. You know, 20-some-odd years ago, there weren't as many beginner classes, and I think, you know, that's really changed, and I think that's super helpful. Um, within regard to, to steelhead, and especially two-handed casting, uh, steelhead first, there was a guy named Rick Heading, who uh, was a guy that my dad and I hired for the first time to, to go on a guided steelhead trip down on the Grand Ron. We just, we, me and my dad just hit it off with him, and he's, he's one of those guys that now we just are lifelong friends. Matter of fact, he's got... Uh, a lodge now up in uh, Prince of Wales Island, uh, up uh, up in Alaska, and we're helping him try to figure out that's that spring steelhead fishery that they potentially have up there a couple of years ago. And well, if you, you need know, someone just... to help go up there and fish for him, you know where to find me. <laughs> it's a it's a jungle. It's crazy, man. Uh, so um, would those old guys kind of instill on you that a beautiful Saturday is too valuable to be spent sitting on the sofa watching golf. Yeah, I think that's just one of those things where I just, you know, my dad and I were just like, my dad was never a guy and, and no no bad about anybody that likes, that, but likes to sit and watch football all day. We were going to go fishing. We were going to go hunting. We were going to do these things because there's always, I, 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 I was lucky and I feel lucky to have the drive that my dad had and has. And then, you know, and then we got to, you know, you, you make friends with guys like Rick or, you know, I got to be, uh, there's a funny joke in uh, the Northwest of how a lot of guys ended up becoming friends was, 
before Facebook really took off and Instagram and other things like that, there were the forums, right? And in uh, the Pacific Northwest, there was just, it's still there and still cooking along. It's Washington. called WashingtonFlyFishing.com. Yeah. And I remember one time my buddy and I, uh, his name is Joe Willauer, who's a, who was a great guide for years. He still hobby guides a little bit, but he works for an economic development council over in, uh, over in Montana because he got a big boy job because he got his master's and everything like that. We're sitting at dinner one night and it was just like, who uh, is the wife, his wife, uh, Caleb was like, Wait a minute, you guys didn't go to high school together. You don't work together. You didn't go to college together. How'd you guys meet? And we both sheepishly were like, the internet. <laughs> and so there's actually a real big contingent of people who can owe their friendship to that goofy website. I mean, just even if you go back in the history of certain things, like within our sport, like Angler Exploration Group was born out of a lot of the friendships that were, were formed there, which begot a lot of big things in the, in the fishing industry, whether that be, you know, the film tours and, you know, you get to know all these people and it just kind of, again, found, I found my tribe. And there's some great stories from that website, but those guys, which then brought me to some of my best friends. Like I was just over in Montana with a good buddy named Matt Clara. And, uh, you know, he, he was a good friend who I got to know from my mentors and someone, you know, like Brian Chow, Brian Chow. Um, or Mike David and a bunch of other people who kind of took me under their wing within regards to especially two handed spade casting. Because that feels like asses and elbows the first time you do it until you have somebody kind of give you a little more pointers. And granted, again, there's just so much more out there now for people to learn and figure out and stuff. But there's nothing better than just some dudes or gals that just take you out of the wing and say, you know, here's how you do it, Rook. And then keep going. Luckily, I found success. The numbers of steel have kind of gone up and down and we're in a real down cycle right now. I'm, I'm headed down to Oregon in a couple of weeks to go winter steelhead fishing with a couple of buddies that, you know, I, I don't get to see them but twice a year, but it's like when we see each other, it's we haven't left anything off. It's, it's you know, we're, we're kind of all tuned to the same wavelength. Speaking of Oregon and steelhead, you also are part of the Wild Steelhead Coalition. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> It's uh, I'm I'm lucky to be one of the board members of that organization, and and um, I'm very proud to do that. And uh, we're mostly Washington based, but definitely have our our fingers in the pie of some uh, issues and advocacy things that are happening with within regard to the entire range of steelhead from Alaska down to gosh, steelhead used to go into you know northern Mexico, uh, but of course not so much now. But still have remnant populations as far as like. Malibu Creek. We're we're working on a lot of different projects. Whether it be um, there's a real issue in the state of Washington right now as we record with the state just allowing they we kicked out the Atlantic salmon pens a couple of years ago, and now they just approved uh, triploid rainbows to go into those pens. It's just it's 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 craziness, and so working on advocacy habitat angler opportunity and at the same time advocating for wild fish and wild places think with those offshore pens that everyone saw at jurassic park yes predicted that's exactly. everything we already know what's going to happen yes the, the the it's like the jeff is it jeff goldblum or what's yes. his name and the, he's yes, tying he, the knot they, in his belt which is crisscrossing dna instead of clicking yes. the belt together Yes, it's like what does he say? Nature always finds the way, yep. you know. And and they and, and there's part of that. <laughs> it's uh, there's uh, it's like I saw online today where somebody was saying, if 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 you if you want to put yourself 
in a room with a thousand flu patients, and, and but you say that they're all a hundred percent inoculized to, to to any of this stuff. Well, are you going to trust that you're going to go in there and and you're never going to get sick? I don't think so. You know, we can't prove that all the fish are going to be in there are going to be are going to be sterile. They just can't. That alone is a biological disaster with the uh, the affluent. It's like having a, a a feedlot on top of on, on top of public water. It's and crazy. You all have fish that trace positive for cocaine in that water. So theoretically, <laughs> these could be like the cocaine they fish. Be, they could be high as kites, brother. And they yeah, eat the meat and maybe it does something. Or you have to snort the roe. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure someone it, snorted roe before. Yeah, I'm sure there's uh, people have chased their high any way they can, I suppose. That could be the next there? event. Yeah, I'm still here. That could okay, be the next event at a... Iron, Iron Vice, fly. maybe. Iron Fly <laughs> snorting row. Yeah, I'm going to take a hard no on that one to quote exactly. Letter Kenny. <laughs> so while you're fishing out there, we haven't really had a, a most you know, Eastern Washington podcast. What sort of... This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Some of the terrain like, the fisheries. Sure. What is it that sure. you're seeking out when you're going after a steelhead in the high sure. is, would you really say high desert? I mean, it's pretty darn yeah. dry. Yeah, that's what's interesting. Uh, you know, maybe a lot of your maybe your East Coast folks or Midwest folks or whatever don't really know is that the state the vast majority of the state of Washington and Oregon are uh desert. Uh, you know, the rain uh, gets dropped in Seattle and Portland and then it goes over the top of the mountains and then there's this gigantic rain shadow. And, it, you know, what's interesting, we're, we're, as we are here in Spokane, we're in a bit of a, what's called, a, I guess, high mountain step or maybe not high mountain, but step plateau kind of place where we're kind of the bridge between desert to mountains. You know, if you get about 30 miles away from Spokane, you pick up the tree line for the first time and you start to see, you know, ponderosa pines and, and uh, typical western uh, mountain type uh, geography and things like that. You know, in terms of just trout, we've got we've got high mountain lakes that you can hike into that are just as picturesque as you would think anywhere in the Rockies. You've got woodland creeks and 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 rivers like the Spokane and different places through some, through some very different watersheds and things like our North Idaho cutthroat cutthroat streams are, you know, right out of a river runs through it type stuff. And, you know, we're not that far from Montana and any of that kind of stuff. But the steelhead stuff, we are, the stuff that we're close to that are what we consider our home rivers are, 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 are rivers that are connected to the Columbia. So as you come from from the near portland area but down in the um the, the bar on the columbia and then there's different water 
watersheds throughout its progression down into where it terminates with the snake or the snake terminates with the Columbia, I should say. And the snake basin is where our fish are typically are going towards are with a, with an air quotes there. But it's um, we're talking about some places like the Klickitat or other other rivers out in the west that are very interesting where it's arid but you have quite a bit of pine trees and stuff like that and then you get in places like the snake where you have these high mountain high desert canyons that are just very uh, unique and high uh, mountain topography around them I'm, I'm not I don't I'm not accurately describing it but if you can I'm looking at a picture of the Snake River at my desk right now and it's treeless in some of the areas but just very dramatic basalt canyons uh, it's just it's it's my favorite place in the world and then you get into different places and what's really interesting the the Clearwater and the and the Snake and the Grand Ron all have really different geographic features that they make them unique and their substrates are different and the fish are a little different too because some rivers have fish that are what considered one ocean or one salt fish and then you have rivers 20 miles away from each other that have three salt big steelhead in so it's 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 um it's a wide array of opportunity fish that swam that far from the ocean when you're swinging and tossing flies at them are they biting because they think it's food or because it's aggressive you know it's a little bit of both like salmon they don't biologically need to eat when they uh, come back to the rivers of their of their birth but i think a lot of them especially with steelhead they're very curious animals they don't have arms right so uh, while they don't need they don't physiologically need to eat they have a latent feeding response i think and you know a lot of these steelhead smolts and when they they go from eggs to par to to small they're spending anywhere from one to three maybe even four years in some of these streams and with that uh, i think there's an imprinting on them when they see certain things swinging across their face you know whether it's something that looks like a big october caddis or, you know, there's part of them that, uh, you know, still remember they're feeding and chasing down bait fish patterns and squids and, you know, different things on the high ocean in the North Pacific. So, you know, depending on water temperature, we're swinging anything from size eights and six, real small stuff and hair wings and, you know, stuff that are very Atlantic salmon uh, derivatives. And then, you know, as it gets colder for here, you know, these summer run steelhead, they don't they don't spawn until, you know, typically February, March. And so our season can be very interesting where, you know, the first the first summer run stuff is you know lower on the columbia may start somewhere in june and it might go all the way to you know i i make a personal ethic to stop fishing for these summer run fish at the end of january and and let them be because they're getting close to boogie time if you know what i'm saying indeed (laughs) indeed but you know i mean about a star they're gonna get their freak on (laughs) <laughs> you know what's interesting you know we have a, a gigantic shad columbia like yeah I, millions it, upon millions upon millions of shad and no one knows what to do with them no they have no Just no them in the fields yeah they a lot of you know you know what it makes is some of the best crab bait in the world and then you know some people are really good about they're able to turn them into they smoke them or they pickle them or stuff like that but they'll fill buckets full of them and uh and then go into you know turn them into the world's best crab bait 
What about just hauling them up to dump them in the headwaters since the salmon aren't getting up there to give all their nutrients? Might as well bring the shad and all that biomass from the ocean up to the headwaters. Yeah, it's a, it's, you know, shad's one of those things that I don't think we know what to do with out here on the West Coast. And I personally don't have any experience with it, but I, I definitely want to go down to like below Bonneville. There's spots where you can go swing shad darts and stuff like that and catch hundreds of fish a day. It's fun. I don't see. I don't think. I. I, I think that'd be a blast. Yeah. But I don't even know. Do, do this is okay. Welcome to dumb question one hundred and one for me. Do shad? Do they? Are they? They're filter feeders. They, no, I know that. Oh. But do they? Do they don't die in river? Correct. correct? Unless they exhaust themselves, they'll they'll return back to the ocean. Yeah. Okay. So they're okay. also going on fat reserves. Right. Like steelhead. <laughs> If you look right. down the gullet of a of a American shad, it's weird looking. It's yeah, I've seen pictures. Filtering looking gill rakers in there. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, in the face of everything that we're dealing with, with, with in terms of climate change and different stuff like that, uh, and changing oceanic conditions in the Pacific, the shad have not been kicked in the proverbial dick at all. They could use that out there. The sea lions. Yeah. The sea lions want the salmon. I, I, those things are pretty voracious, and I don't know. Yeah, I know we have some issues with with some really naughty sea lions and and stuff like that that need to be taken out. That's for sure. They've just started to allow for certain culling of those of those things, but you know, there's ones that God they'll trap and they'll move 400 miles down the coast, and a couple weeks later, that son of a gun will end up right back in the fish ladder again. That's crazy. Yeah, they know what's going. They they they're, they they are not dummies for sure. With the the flies we were talking about, sure. You tie a lot of colorful things with lots of flash. How do you maintain a, a tidy tying area in a I house? Don't. I don't. I'm lucky that we, we a while back we moved and well, I was afforded my own uh, my my jokingly call it the man room. It's just I'm just it's just an enclave of my tying. I I just have my wife calls it the feathers and frills room. And I'm pretty sure I could outfit some Mardi Gras parades. That's for sure, uh, with my amount of stuff. But you know, I, I my my program is I, I get up in the morning and get some coffee, go walk the dog, and usually have an hour every day that I try to tie. And you know, with um, within respect to some of the charity stuff I've been doing, I'm a little backed up on my orders right now. But that's okay. It's no problem. Well, let's keep talking about your tying, and then we'll talk about the charities. Sure, no so, problem. No problem. What what made you decide to get into tying? I think it's just it was just a natural extension of wanting to have more layers and, and more depth of contact with the sport. Because I, I always want to try and get embedded and, and, and go, okay, well, these flies are cool. Well, you know, other part of the fly shops, all this furs and tinsel and well, I want to learn how to do that. So you know, I took a, be- a beginner fly tying class, and it's just like anything. I just doggedly spent more time. But, you know, thankfully, a lot of my mentors are exceptional fly tires. And I would get excited about something and then, you know, that I tie, and I would send it off to them, and they'd be like, good, but try this. And rather than – or what would you do if you tied it with half the materials? Or, you know, they would, they would, they would do it without – Without telling me what to do, they would try to help me down my voyage of discovery with, okay, why'd you do that? And why'd you do that? And talking a lot about intent and, and why is this happening? Well, what do you think if this, you know, if you add this material or this weight, what is it going to do? Which allowed me to kind of open my mind and figure out different ways to do stuff. And then, you know, just 
time at the vice and and sitting there and go uh okay well i want to tie some intruders you know i remember seeing edwards you know skagit master stuff and i'm like oh that stuff's so cool or and then i started seeing flies like hobo spay flies and i'm like you know, i'd sit and look at it what that was it but i just I, you know you sit and look at them and you're like oh okay and then you have the the illusions of uh, you're going to save money but no one ever saves money by by tying flies <laughs> that's for sure but you can you can tell your wife for a period of time that i'm going to save money but then everything starts stacking up and you're like wait she's like how much that cost and, and luckily she just giggles at me and has it and doesn't bother she knows it's my it's my vice to uh, have a bad pun um, but then i just kind of i got a little bit better and i got a little bit better and thankfully you know there's through social media there in instagram there's a you can kind of dive down those rabbit holes and kind of pick up tricks and and get inspiration from other people because that's how an idea gets transferred rather than this cloak of secrecy of what it used to be what are some of the materials that you go back to more often these days I've, I've really gotten to a muddler kick over the last year or so and and i just love the ability to to shape deer here i'm no pat cohen and those guys that uh, that are just you know unbelievable uh that's been really cool my cheater tip for anybody that's out there building steelhead flies or anybody that uses composite loops i mean composite loops are fun but they're hard and my cheater thing is EP anadromous brushes or EP brushes will build the same shoulder in one tenth the time that you do when you're trying to build like intruders or, you know, different kind of flies like that. So I use a lot of that and I use a lot of, let's see, uh, a lot. I, I'm a big fan of Peacock. Yeah, it seems to always just make a fly go. And then anytime that I can get my hands on stuff like blue-eared pheasant or, you know, different things that are, that are uh, you know, substitutes for heron, because, of course, that's illegal. You know, just things that it just that makes those flies just look classic and beautiful. And then I'm a big fan of, you know, reading a lot of older books and, 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 and seeing what people have done, you know, 50 years ago. With If you look at <laughs> I, I I try to scour Craigslist and stuff for different things uh, in old, old collections and stuff, and I'll go look at them. And the thing that makes you realize that we're in the golden age of fly tying for sure right now, because you look at some of the stuff that, that were, came from old collections that I've seen, and you're like, man, this stuff's garbage uh, in comparison to what we tie with now. Yeah, the tools, some of the threads, the tensile oh. strengths, the oh. quality of the feathers, all the oh. synthetics. Oh, Jesus. I mean, it's like... And I got all my I... Solares bottles right here. <laughs> I mean, not go wrong. No. And I'm just kind of diving into that UV realm right now and trying to figure that out a little bit. And You know, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty decent. I'm okay at steelhead stuff, but I'm always like, all right, so what's something I need to work on? I'm, sh I'm terrible at dry flies just because I'm like, ugh, I'd rather go buy them. But I want to get better at that. And there, I think there's always a goal, and I think that's really cool, the ability to try and find other, other things that, that, that I'm not good at and trying to figure out streamers better and things like, you know, it's just there's the rabbit hole again is, is never ending. And thus you accumulate more and more material that the wife laughs about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, can you just pump the brakes on some of this? I'm like, no, 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 mm -mm, nope. I'm not sitting at a bar, you know, being stupid. I'm sitting in my fly tying room. Can't get into much trouble there. No, other than, you know, a bad back and or, or eyes from staring at your stuff too close. I've got this LED lamp now from Amazon over my desk, and it is sure. absurdly bright in here. Really? It, it was $22, and it weighs nothing. It's just hanging on okay. a chain from the drywall. 
Very nice. Very nice. I installed Very one nice. in the laundry room. And I just went to show my wife, and I clicked it on. She's like, oh, my God, our laundry room is disgusting. <laughs> I've just never been able to see it. We had no – and then the hot water tank broke three days later. So we ended up oh, being able no. to see everything. I was just standing there, and all of a sudden, I'm like, why are my feet wet? And the whole thing just drained onto the floor in about 10 minutes. Yeah, we, we just had a hot tub do that as well. That was a mess. And I didn't realize for about five days that it came into my office with my nasty carpet. So no. that had fans in here. Oh, was a mess. Oh, God. That sucks, And we dude. have a Ukrainian plumber guy that you call him at any time and he'll show up. <laughs> so we were at Home Depot buying parts and a new hot water tank at 9.50 at night. It was crazy. Oh, God. But oh, we could see everything. Oh, yuck. Yeah. Sometimes you don't want to. You know, I look at my desk and I probably should, I, you know, I bought this desk at a at a home improvement store and it was used and I'm like, I don't even, and like now I'm, I've spilled so much junk on it and coffee and beer and different stuff. I'm like, it's part of the allure of the whole thing. probably. <laughs> my table's painted white. So everything stands oh. out, but it's covered with so many things that it needs to be repainted and I can't take it out. I might have to just get white contact paper and put it over. Yeah, and then and then my lovely wife, she's like, I need to help you with your your organizational systems down here. I'm like, no, no, walk away. Don't don't touch my stuff because this, this it's my own mental mapping I, I have right now. My wife's happiest when she can go to the laundry room and my office door is closed. She doesn't <laughs> want to look in here. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I have to tell my boys is like, because every once in a while I go around and mess around with my stuff, and I'm cool with that. But I'm like, okay, these are the special feathers. We don't mess with these, like jungle cock capes and blue-eared pheasant and, you know, other things that take a little bit more. I finally I put together a bin of stuff that is the anytime you guys want to have at it file. That's the chenille, and I made the mistake of letting my daughter play with whole skeins of it. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm like, that was a bad idea. And just pink fuzz from all the pieces that cut up. Just like, oh. it's always the pink stuff they go for. Right. Girls in the house. For sure. For sure. So tell me about the tube flies. Was that one of the things you decided, hey, I've done intruders, I've done something else. Yeah. And yeah. now tubes are the next thing. And of course, you have to buy the, the apparatus. What advice do you tie on? I just tie in a, on a standard Regal, you know, whatever uh, uh, pedestal vase. So uh, do you vice. have an attachment for tying on tubes? The, the easiest thing in the world, and this is the little hack that I got from some of my, my friends, is is just using a, a pro tube needle. It's 15 or 16 bucks. It slides right in the jaw like a big hook. And rather than because I used to I bought initially the HMH adapter, but that always seems super clumsy. And then that ProTube needle works on all the different tube varieties, whether you're using ProTube or I, I just go cheap a lot of the times and buy HMH uh, tubes. Or if you want to get real, real dirty, just go find uh, a bunch of those ear swabby type thingies, I don't know, Q-tips. And there's some they make that are made out of tubes. And you can buy like a thousand of those things for like six bucks. It's basically just a coffee stir. Yeah, it just depends. You know, some I like uh, that have WD forty spray straw. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, you can get funky any way you want. I do like, uh, you know, the HMHs because when you when I burn them back a little bit to create a little bump that would that allows for the thread to end on and stuff like that, it works pretty good. I think the reason why I shifted to tubes is just pure efficiency. Number one, you can change your length at will when you're tying them, and I think that's pretty cool. When you're tying on intruders, a lot of times you're either tying on Waddingtons, which t- uh, shanks, which tend to be a little bit expensive. Or you're cutting, you're cutting a big uh, streamer hooks or different stuff like that to create the base, the shank, and then you know you have uh, the whole process of uh, looping in the intruder wire or uh, dacron or whatever, and it allows. It, it's one of those situations where uh, it's just it takes longer, right? It's it's an it, it's an issue of efficiency, and if I'm sitting out there working on orders or you know people want to buy flies from me or whatever, I. I I certainly can do that. It's no problem. But I find it more efficient, and I like the way that they they act in the water, so maybe just a little bit of personal preference. Also is when you're tying on tubes, you foul uh, your your uh, your hook. It's no big deal. You just, you just switch another switch to another hook because you're not having to deal with trying to un un uh, unthread the, the 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 wire or anything like that. And there's nothing worse than tying a great intruder also at the same time on a shank and then it going kind of kinks or something happens and the hook isn't riding properly. And that just it drives me crazy because you're just like. Like this sucks, you know. I mean, this, and then you, you can't run your fly. You got to figure out how to change the hook, and then you just end up not fishing that fly. Well, you, you, if you, let's say you hang up on something and you bend a, a bar, bend the the point on a hook, swap it out. Do you have a hook preference? Yeah, actually, I do. I found that because if like the standard hook that you use on on an intruder, uh, or a lot of times is is owner SSWs, whether it's a a one or a two or a four, depending on the size of the fish you're going after. I've switched over to Gamagatsu uh, drop shot hooks, and it's it's the dorkiest, like nerdiest thing that I noticed. And it was because you'd put the the owners into the tubes and seat them into the junction tubing, and it would canter the hook up. And it was my impression, and a lot of my other buddies' impressions that were like you're going to miss strikes on that because the way the hook is cantered up because just there's a very, there's a, the way that the eye is, is tipped when it goes into the junction tube and it, it, it just turns it up a little bit. Right. Well, the, the Gamagatsu drop shot hooks are a lot flatter. And so when you put them into the junction tubing, it creates a better line. uh, I think in the hook from, from top of the hook, down to i mean top of the tube down to the bottom of the hook it's much more like you can see a fish is going to get pinned really really well and plus they're sharp as all get out those gamakatsus are filthy sharp yeah and just the nature the the it's just it's just sitting there staring at walls of hooks and kind of going how could i make this better and that's like our buddy our mutual friend brian chow he's always kind of you know he we're always tinkering I initially started using those Gamagatsu drop shot hooks like a size one aught for skaters because they just had something different. You want to throw something different at them. They work, man. My last steelhead question. Yeah. Are Great Lake steelhead steelhead or are they lake run trout? (laughs) 
You had to ask me that one, didn't you? Well, I uh, ask the people out there uh, the, you know, the source. You know, and I, I definitely d- don't have any hardline answer on something like that. I think it's awesome that that resource is there uh, in the Great Lakes. By definition, they're not steelhead. They come from steelhead origin. I, if I lived anywhere near, or had the like, look, if I had a trip to Cleveland, or if I had a trip to anywhere anywhere near the Great Lakes. I would immediately try and go fish for those things, it, and I and I would do it with the same kind of passion as I do back home. But to be a steelhead, to me, you, it's got to touch. It's got to touch salt water. It's got to get out there and it's got to fight those battles. But the salt Lord they knows, put on the roads in the winter doesn't count. Not officially. <laughs> but like I said, if if I found myself in the Great Lakes and and I, I had a chance to go steelhead fishing, I'd be there. Right on. All right, so let's talk some of the the charity work. There was sure. a hurricane last sure. year into summer, pretty much destroyed September, most parts yeah. of the, the Bahamas. And right. you decided you had you could, a clever way to raise funds for the Bahamians? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I guess that's the right term. Um, you know, it's a place I've never been to, but I've really aspired to, and I have a lot of friends that, you know, that work through there or uh, spend a lot of time fishing in, in the Bahamas. And Abaco and Grand Bahama, even now, is, are, are sitting in some really tough shape. They figured that, uh, you know, in places like Abaco, they're, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm going to screw this up, but let's say that the land mass is 30 feet above sea level at, at a tie. They had storm surges that almost were 30 feet. And so, you know, it, it's like they took a gigantic eraser to those islands. And so many of them are so dependent upon tourism and dependent upon the fishing industry for uh, to bring the tourists to some of those places. And those lodges are just whacked. But it's not even so much the lodges. The lodges are insured. It's the uh, it's the guides that have lost their, ha- their homes, that have lost their boats, that have lost their motors, that have lost electricity there's parts of the east end of i believe of, is, i can't remember if it's east end of grand bahama or abaco there's like 30 miles of an island that just still does to the to this day that doesn't have electricity and i just was like i just uh, it just felt gut-wrenching to see a lot of that stuff happen i've got friends like my friend uh Dylan rose who works for flywater or i've got friends that a lot of friends at yellow dog or different places where you know there's a real sad story coming out of out of the wake of those hurricanes, and I've fished in. Um, I was lucky to go before we had kids. I went down to Belize a couple of times and got to experience that kind of fishery, but of course not the Bahamas. And I've tried uh, to in vain on on some Hawaiian islands for those um, Pacific uh, bonefish over there. I just like there's got to be something that we can do here, and uh, you know I'll sell a dozen flies on a normal situation for you know, a hundred bucks or whatever. But I was like, maybe I could start a little auction or something. I don't, I literally is one of those moments where you're just like sitting in the shower going, I wonder what I could do. Wouldn't it be crazy if kind of situations. So I tied up a dozen flies, um, steelhead flies, challenged a bunch of friends and it was kind of all, it all kind of came together via two main other characters uh, in this is that my buddy, Brian Gregson, um, who is, uh, works for yellow dog. And um, is one of the best uh, videographer and, and cinematographer slash photographers, whatever you want to say it, in the in the entire outdoors. He's like, yeah, this is great. And then I noticed that Yellow Dog had something called the Yellow Dog Community and Conservation Fund, because I, I needed to find a a place that like where could we if if this auction took off. 
Right, and so and you're not dealing with uh, net, uh, you know, the net of your dollars raised that they would go somewhere with impact, right? And and really help people in the fishing community who have lost everything. And then Gregson shared it with his friends, and now my friend Clark Pierce, also known as Cheech from Fly Fish Food. He uh, he is a great, he's a creative feller, and he came up with the hashtag Dozen for Dorian. He then puts up a dozen, and then boom, 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 you know the viral nature of the thing kind of took off. And uh, we, it just it just kept going. New person would show up, and, and some of the best fly tires I've ever seen. Guys that are tying full dress Atlantic salmon flies and everything like that. I'm just going, oh my god, I can't believe this is happening, right? And my flies instantly went up to three hundred bucks, and Cheech's stuff was three four hundred bucks, and you know it just. And then I knew we had really hit the, a, a, a critical mass when I got a message from this high school kid. In I think he was in Michigan, or somewhere in the Midwest, mid upper Midwest, and was like, "Hey, we were talking in my science class today, and my science teacher is a fly fisherman, and I love to fly fish, and he told me about this thing called Dozen for Dorian. Are you the guy that is putting it on?" And I was like, "Whoa!" Because here's here is a community binding together hundreds of people who have no idea, really know each other, but under the banner of using their hobby and joy to create funds for people who are really kicked and knocked down. And I remember <laughs> it really took off. Also, <laughs> we had scheduled a trip to, uh, and we did our parental penance and took our kids to Disneyland. Uh, never again, thank God. But we're sitting there and I'm in the lines for Disney and this thing is blowing up. It's going, I hate the term, but it's going viral. And my wife's like, you got to stop looking at your phone. And I'm, I'm just like, you don't understand. It's like every couple of minutes, it's another thousand dollars. It's another thousand dollars. Another person throws a dozen and another thing. And it just kept going and going and going. And after a month, when it finally decided to slow down, uh, on our tallies had us, uh, just at $42,100. One more time. Forty-two thousand one hundred dollars. It's pretty awesome, dude. Yeah, man, and it, you know, and and I was getting reports from Dylan Gruber, who is the administrator of the Yellow Dog Community and Conservation Fund, and he lives over in Bozeman. And I'm like, so what are we doing? And, and you know, and and he was telling me about the medicines they were buying, or sponsoring uh, mobile medical clinics, or diapers, or antibiotics, or lumber, or generators, and stuff that you know, basic life elements to make those people's life get back to normal as fast as they possibly can but we know it's going to take years it's not over in a month for any stretch of the imagination and you know it's my hope i can get down there in the next year or so and and and, and try to contribute some more money down there in in the form of a fishing trip you know and and you no know, it, it's just one of those things where it's it just i love our Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com culture or subculture of fly fishing because 
we had, and then, you know, upon just fly time, we had guides reaching out going, here's a dozen flies and a guided steal a trip. And here is another trip. And, and, and here's people that are actively taking hundreds of dollars out of their pocket and giving it. And without quite, I didn't, I didn't have to beat the bush very much. If you know what I'm trying to say, I didn't have to, I didn't have to urge people very hard. You also did it a second round for the bushfires down under. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a glutton for punishment, I guess. But I lived in Australia in 2003 after college and I played college baseball and I was, got an invite to go down and play in, out of Melbourne. Uh, as they say, Melbourne, you know, there's no R. <laughs> and I fell in love with that country and the people. And I still have some great friends uh, that I see every now and then who roll through town or roll through the United States. And, you know, and, and it just, it just, it, it printed on my life how awesome these people were. And, um, you know, I had a, I had a, I had a cousin go down there and, and, uh, he's a smoke jumper for years and, you know, pretty high level wildland firefighter guy. He's like, he, he runs command centers. He went down there for 36 days and he gave me some, he gave me some, some scope of what we were, we were dealing with down there. The biggest fires in the United States in one setting, maybe 500,000 acres. Uh, he is the one complex he was working on was over 1.4 million and and there was dozens of these kinds of complexes so you know i don't know what the i, I haven't checked at the estimates lately but the last time i checked it was over it was closing in on 20 million acres and that's without scale i mean that just i i don't know what that even is you know because you know when the fires went through yellowstone in the early 90s that was the ones that were four or five hundred thousand acres we were dealing with you know stuff in the west and we have some real wildfire issues here in the summer when we don't get the proper amount of snow and we go through drought and you know we have a, you know, a fire that's you know hundred thousand acres and it literally blacks out our skies at one point spokane two years ago had the worst air quality in the world because it was convergence of canadian Western Washington and Montana fires all in one place. We had like 400 million or whatever the parts per million or whatever. We had worse uh, air than like Bombay or Shanghai. We're going to get three inches of rain in the next 20 something hours. I can get it redirected out your way for when you need no, it. No, it's, it, you know, it's okay. We've had a, uh, we've had actually, we're hitting pretty good snowpack to see these last two years. But anyways, I, I was just, I remember I dropped an Instagram post and I was like, Y'all want to get the band back together? <laughs> <laughs> and here we go. And you know, the same thing repeated itself. And uh, it's just finally slowing down after a month. I think we'll hit, I think we'll, we'll crest over 31,000 with this one. And I think it's a little bit timing. And I think it also has why we're a little bit less than the Bahamas because there's just not as many people that have been there and have experiences and, and things of that nature. But man, people gave and gave and gave we had a guy i don't know but he was his i think it's it's about trout on instagram he came and dropped in a, a trip on the on the you know on the like in northern new mexico and colby crossland who's a, a good big green river guide in utah dropped a trip and that raised 
you know, nine, you know, 950 bucks. And like Sage Fly Fishing comes in, they did a really cool deal where they got all their rod designers and, and, and people and they dyed a dozen steelhead flies, took a Wheatley fly, to, fly, uh, um, fly box, had it engraved, it said dozen for down under on it. One guy bid $2,000 and then Sage upped the ante by matching it. We had our boys, we had our boys, so that raised four grand right there. And then we had, um, you know, Meat Eater dropped in and, and did it. That went for, 450 bucks and they matched it and rio came in and matched their deal uh we had an, um, um dan short who uh, i think the, the 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 really cool piece in the whole situation was they took a nautilus xl uh he's the rep for nautilus here in, in the uh in the mountain states region and, and big old massive nautilus and then on the real cap they engraved some some custom artwork by one of the guys that was part of the program, and it's like uh, you know Australian flag and a kind of a, a sad looking a bunch of uh, Australian animals, and that went for twelve hundred dollars. And these folks just gave and gave and gave and gave and gave, and that's the, that's the uplifting part of our 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 group of people here. Whether you know people are my friend Brenna Richardson at uh, at Rods Reels and Heels, friend from uh, Montana, she donated half her profits from her from her business or you had it's just it just there's dozens of, I think the last count there was 114 contributors to it to the uh, to the Australian one I think close to 130 for the uh, for the Bahama one and you know we have we we tend to think fly fishing is everything right it's it's our it's our it's our life but it's a niche community I tell you what man there was there wasn't any group out there that that, that uh, we had to pull on hard to, to join it was there's, more like it was more like hey can i still get in on this if there's Hell a yeah. listener who is unaware of all of this and wants to contribute what could they do you know the easiest thing to do if they want to donate flies and stuff they they still certainly can and and if you want to see all the stuff that's still posted on instagram you can still look at uh, hashtag dozen four down under that's f-o-r not the number four dozen four down under and there's close to 300 posts uh with all that in there and there's a couple auctions still going as of today february uh 5th but i, I like i said i don't know when this is going to go but the easiest thing to do if they have a little jingle in their pocket and they want to contribute if they go to uh, on instagram it's the yellow dog community and conservation fund that's y d c c f and that is the quickest way uh, via social media let me uh pull up the uh, website for the community and conservation fund and that can be found at let me pull get this here it's just ydccf.org and what's beautiful about these guys is that it, yes it is yellow dog but they are this nonprofit was established in, uh, with the effort to uh, help the angling community in need a boat you know a guide's boat burns up in the bahamas or you know whatever you know different you know people who find themselves in need and and uh, and or if there's environmental disasters like you know the stuff that's going on in australia they have the ability to direct the funds to the most impactful ways possible there's 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 hardly any administrative fees taken from any of this stuff go on there and you can see uh the stuff that we that there's the australian action alert uh, action alert excuse me um the different grants and things that go on and and they have a very 
easy way to donate. And what's really cool is that it's uh, um, tax deductible because of their accreditation and their their ability to uh, be proper and, and correct with their funds as opposed to, and, and you know, every, there's millions of, I mean, there's thousands of other nonprofits out there, but this one really helps the fishing community in need. Fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. Okay. Yeah, next. it's just one of those, it's just one of those, sorry, it's just one of those things that it's just like caught fire, people responded, and now my buddy's like, you better just go buy the website dozenfor.com and see what happens. <laughs> but it's uh, it's a labor of love, and I definitely love binding the community together doing that. Awesome. All right, I need a brief story that is one of those things we had to have been there to have actually believed what you saw happened on a fishing trip. Oh. It may or may not have to involve Brian Chow. <laughs> I'll tell you a good one with with Mr. Chow is that we do some we've got some friends that uh, we got together with the boys that own um, Corkers and uh, Brian Cheney and his crew and because we do some we do some work for them and 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 you know product t- testing and design. They're big they supporters were... of the podcast. We'll give a shout out. Nice, Mr. Cheney out there. Good dude. He is. Uh, what a great, what a great company. You know, they they really, yeah, they really are constantly trying to fix any of their errors or work. You know, just they're constantly trying to work because you know we are an exacting bunch of humans in terms of uh, fly fishing. We expect everything uh, for nothing half the time, and man, do they stand by their product? That's for sure. Through thick and thin. Oh, anyways, so we're fishing the the famous salmon fly hatch on uh, the shoots, and uh, with the Corkers boys, and 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 there may have may or not been some eating of salmon flies in which to produce better karma. And I don't know if you've ever seen these big, gigantic California, uh, whatever the Latin name is. I'm not that dork, but um, they're big. They're they're real big. Terodactylus californicus. Californicus, something. Yeah, something. They're long. big, gray, little orange collar. Yeah, yeah, and you guys have they're, hot they're, sauce they're, at all. yeah. So, so, so the deal is, they'll land on you, and you've never been so excited as an angler and so creeped out as a human because they're just like they're so stinking big, and there's legs everywhere. But I didn't oh, give it. I'm such a bug nerd. Oh, dude, it'd be dude, heaven. You got some of these western stoneflies are so big there's a reason why they have flies called the sofa pillow because it's like or you know the chubby when it, the, the full-size chubbies are they're true to size they big and they fish gorge on them but there's certain times where it can be a little bit off because maybe the fish have eaten so many of them well i may or may not have just started to eat them because i thought maybe I, if i became one with the stonefly maybe Maybe I can induce a few more. I can conf- neither confirm nor deny my ability to get more fish uh, in the boat. But we definitely, uh, we definitely had a, had a good time on that trip for sure. Did it you taste know, like chicken? Thing, yeah. They're awful. They're metallic and gross. But you know, you've had enough. You've had enough vitamin R's or cervezas on a trip. You'll you'll do some funny things. <sighs> <laughs> but dude yeah they are so big and they're a reason why people get really twitter painted about it because holy crap do they um they can make fish go stupid i need to get some stone flies in my aquarium i haven't been anywhere up river oh okay. last one uh hatched in here okay so, yeah i get a little off i remember i remember i took i i took two of them i stuck two live ones in my one of my fly boxes just to bring them home to show my boys right 
the son of a guns made it home alive. And they lived for a week in my house before they finally kicked the bucket. Did you kids see the bodies? Oh, yeah. Kids, kids named them Larry and Steve. Any reason Larry <laughs> and Steve? Hell no. I have no idea. They named our they named our robotic vacuum Gary. I don't know. They just do funny things. They're they're goofy kids. I love them to death, but they'd say some funny things. The owl that flew into neighbor Rob's house, the kids named it Barney Blueberry something. Perfect. I was like, of course, Perfect. why not? <laughs> All right, I yeah, it's a yeah. In terms of other funny fish stories, man, uh, there's there, we have this steelhead camp every year and. Mostly has me being made fun of by my better friends who are anglers that uh, that I'm not catching fish. But, you know, every once in a while the sun shines and we'll have days where it all comes together for sure. I got some last questions for you here. No problem, man. I'm enjoying this. It's fun. Yes. What is the last book you read? Oh, I just reread The Longest Silence by McGuane, um, which is one of those books that I think can be read over and over and over and over again before that i was reading uh my life as told by water by david james duncan who i consider my uh, author spirit animal if you've ever lived you know the river Y and, and things like that uh, that guy is that guy's the best i think and then i'm currently reading the feather thief and i forget the gentleman's name but it's about the guy that That's you know great stole all stuff oh yeah, yeah. I can understand I can understand the dorkdom and the fetishism that some people get into with in regards to Atlantic salmon flies. But oh, I thought uh, you were gonna go about to flutes. Mm, you need to get further in. Oh, i I'm only like twenty five, thirty pages in. Okay. I just love well, how yeah. I, I really appreciate how the author gave so much time to Alfred Russell Wallace. He's right. been looked over in many a science book. He gets right. annotated a little bit, but Right. That was I awesome. just I, I was reading the part last night where the guy lost you know, three years worth of work from his Amazonian expeditions and the boat, you know, burns to the, to the, to the seafloor. And I just was, yeah. yeah, And I just was like, I just couldn't even, I couldn't even fathom it. All right. Next question. What's a fish you won't target with a fly rod? Oh, won't, won't is a little bit different than can't. Hmm. I would try just about. I electric eel maybe. Sure, but I was thinking about like I think about like practicality because we've got some really good walleye water near us. Don't lip a walleye. No, I've seen it done by somebody. They uh, they are. I call them swimming fish tacos because I I, those definitely are hunted to eat if you know what I'm saying. But they are just the way the where they're at and their inability to just it's a it's a it's an issue of issue of gear. You could get to them, but I think it wouldn't be the easiest thing. It's better just to throw a jig at them if you know what I'm saying. I if I could try to catch somebody on a flyer, I'm gonna make it happen. What is Spokane most famous for? It gets a bad rap in terms of it's not Seattle, it's not Portland, it's not Bozeman. Um, it definitely, without being the Chamber of Commerce, there's there, 
it's yeah, you can call us Spokanistan or Spokompton, and I'm just fine with that because I'll keep my affordable housing, I'll keep my low traffic, my good school, good great public schools, open spaces, Western living. You, you can you can forget it even exists. That's totally fine with us. Unfortunately, it's one of the hottest places to live in the world in 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 the United States right now because it is so affordable. It's got great cuisine. You can ski it. 10 mountains in two hours, rivers everywhere, but it sucks. Don't come here. We're going to put the word out. Yeah. When you're consuming a hot dog, uh, ketchup or mustard, what's your preference? I will, I will go 75% mustard, 25% uh, ketchup. Okay. If you had a time machine to go back in time before modern humans destroyed the natural environments and you can go fly fish there and it's not where you live now, where would you go? Ooh, ooh. Well, my first answer would always be to go see Celayo Falls on the on the Columbia. It's five hours from my house, but I guess that would be too close. That's the one that's now underwater from the dam. Correct, correct. Yeah, it's uh, it was the main it, it, it was the main one of the main hurdles on the Columbia system for fish to get through, and became it was like one of the most important cultural centers for Native Americans to, because that's where tribes came for hundreds of miles to collect their salmon. Um, and steelhead. The, the the fact of the matter is that the you know the shifting baseline syndrome. In my best year in my steelhead career, there was six hundred plus thousand fish over the dam on Bonneville Dam, which is the first big dam on the Columbia. Was six hundred thirteen thousand fish. An average year is three hundred thousand fish. That's steelhead. That's saying we're not talking about about salmon. This year, uh, we're lucky to break a hundred thousand fish over Bonneville. Ugh. Terrible, worst run in like seventy five hundred years. Good job. Combination. Yay. But we also have, um, we also have issues with oceanic conditions and lower force snake river dams and so on and so forth. But the fact of the matter is if in total of all steelhead and salmon for a year, if we break, if we break 1.5 million fish up to Columbia, hooray, pre-dam, pre-commercial harvest, pre-commercial uh, environmental degradation, 32 to upwards of 48 million salmonids per year on the Columbia. How is there room for water? That's why I mean. We hear about those stories of places where you could walk across yeah. the, the water the uh, on the backs here, of the salmon. The first time Captain John Cook came up the river in the bay, they were just scooping them out with the frying pan. Mm. You can do that with mm. the herring now. You see kids do it with tackle boxes. Sure, sure. You know, but I, I look at, I look at, the, you know, you know, without saying too much, and, and I'm a big believer in conservation, and you know, trying to get out of the way of Mother Nature to, to repair itself, and I really take a lot of take a lot of solace in some of the things that have happened on the East Coast, where the the Kennebec and the Penobscot have been, you know, the revival of the of the forage fish that have come through those places, and you know, there's dam removal on on the Elwha and the white salmon and different places, and the and the Klamath dams that are eventually going to come out in in California. California and and hopefully we can get these lower four snake river dams out uh, eventually down on the uh, on the snake river because uh, we got to sometimes we just got to get away and, and really value culturally on both all all cultures of what these fish mean to us as a as 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 a group of animals ourselves indeed speaking of animals if you had only one bird or type of bird to tie with for the rest of your life what would you choose? 
God, yeah. Ugh. Um, probably pheasant, I'd say. Pheasant are just good old chickens. Because chicken, we've got marabou, and we've got all the neck stuff, and we've got all the other stuff. And pheasants, I think, are very are very similar. But why don't we just say jungle cock, and we just have Atlantic salmon flies for days. Word up. <laughs> What's something that's ridiculous that you and your spouse argue about? Ooh. Ooh, that you're admitting um, to just the little things uh, that you, you just <laughs> I think the one that pisses me off and pisses her off at the same time is the way that I load the dishwasher and the way that she tries to rearrange it yes when it's when it's I'm like I, so what if two things don't get done right it's come on my wife's cares? out of town and I just the dishwasher's finishing up and I'm like you know what she's oh, not here I'm going crazy. I'm putting the bowl Everything. on that shelf. Everything. Mm-hmm. Everything. I'm gonna. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna put stuff that doesn't belong and where it needs to go. And I just I remember some of the dumber fights that we had over the years, just procedural stuff like, do you decorate the Christmas tree from the top or the bottom with the lights first? Or, for that matter, I was ardent on real tree. She's ardent fake tree. Could you get uh. a half and half? Like screw a little pine tree on top of the base. <laughs> no, unfortunately, she, uh, you know, happy wife, happy life, big yeah. fella, as we all know. And uh, if I want to be uh, out in the wilds uh, chasing fish and birds and stuff like that with my boys, and even sometimes her, she gets what she wants. Oh, yeah. Right, what's the most crazy thing you've ever found while fly fishing? A stack of death certificates on the Spokane. <laughs> Do you look? It them was up? like. Yeah, I actually, I kept one of them and found out these, it was, I think if somebody's house got robbed, that was either some sort of lawyer or, you know, or, you know, Jerry, you know, older law or something like that. But these people had long since passed, but there was like 30 death certificates sitting there on the, the side of the river. I'm like, okay. And then, you know, why is it you always find one shoe and a bra together? It's always one shoe and a bra. The bras usually leopard print around here. Yeah, yeah, real saucy stuff. And then, you know, unfortunately, being on the Spokane, it's like I'm literally always mentally prepared to find a dead human. You know, find somebody who's, you know, there's a there's a bit of a homeless population in some places, and, you know, I, every year. So one time my buddy was running a guide trip. They found one. They found a, a gentleman who had been tacoed across a, a downed tree for quite some time, and... Uh, they called it in and everything, right? And I walked into the fly shop the next day. I'm like, all right, who wants to go swing some flesh flies? Oh, Too soon? On. Too soon? Too soon? No, I, of course, yeah, we Crickets? Uh, I guess I'm going to hell. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> you guys make me feel so loved and so happy. I feel like I've been talking to the fly fishing version of Burt Kreischer for the last hour. <laughs> you seem uh, a lot like him. <laughs> the uh, uh, the machine. Yeah, <laughs> I just was listening to a story. Uh, that he, there's a great bit of comedy. It's quite blue, but it's if you want some good listening uh, at your desk and you don't have kids around or coworkers, this is not happening on the Comedy Central channel. Have you seen the movie Van Wilder? Oh yeah, that's based on him. No, you have to read the Rolling Stone article about the biggest college party person in the country. They went around in the 90s and found the biggest party animal at any college. It was Burt Kreischer. No. And then you have to find out how he became president of his fraternity. So he's Jim Belushi. Yeah. 
Dude is nuts. <laughs> but like crazy, insane, smart. Yeah. You could tell. You could tell. He's he's messing around with the you know KGB agents as he's going to Russia, and I'm just like, that guy's got stones because yeah. I ain't got those kind of stones. What's your favorite cryptozoological organism? Cryptos. Like, I might have to put Bigfoot. Uh, oh, does that doesn't exist? Doesn't exist. Or hidden that that you know people believe Mothman maybe. <laughs> we know the Bunny Man out here was just a guy named Frank in a bunny suit. <laughs> no, I think uh, you know we live in the land of uh, sa sassy squatches, but I think I I'm more freaked out by toothless meth methed out yokels on 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 crazy rivers uh, that I have run into. One time, my buddy and I uh, were, were working our way down a, a pretty narrow slot canyon in way northeast Washington, in a place where people uh, go because they don't want to be around other people. And I come around this corner, and we're just fishing little three weights to brookies and native red band rainbows. And I come around the corner, and there's a dude hunched over, and it's July, and dude's got a .30-06 on his back. And then I realize, excuse me, stuff, this guy is, uh, there's no bear season open. There's nothing open. This guy's defense, he's crazy. And what he was doing, he was running a suction dredge mine. He turns around, and he literally looks like he'd been sucking on the meth pipe for a good 40 years. Full bitter beer face, the whole bit. And I'm like, oh, this guy's a zombie. This guy's going to kill me. And it made matters worse. His two pit bulls were at his side, so really feeling safe. And uh, he, he comes walking up towards us, and he's like, how's the fishing, guys? And I'm just like, oh, uh, I'm not going to die. Uh, good, sir. Uh, how's the uh, illegal suction drudge mining that you're doing right now? <laughs> you're just like, oh, man, no. Yeah, I'm more scared of, 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 of those kind of folks than I am of that. But, uh, yeah. We're in the land of Sasquatch for sure. Name a place everyone needs to visit before they die. Uh, Doesn't have to be like a wonder of the world. Just something that everyone needs to see. Could be the big ball of yarn and. <laughs> well, I haven't. I thankfully, thankfully, my parents have kept us out of most tourist traps and things like that. But uh, I think. If I got to Mount Rushmore, there was a cloud, so I'm still convinced it's fake. Uh, well, I, I was really impressed by Haleakala in, in Maui, um, the, the volcanic crater. They'd been, I almost drove off the road and hit a cow because you have to get up at like 3 in the morning to go see the sunrise there. That's pretty rad. Yeah, I would say that. There you go. Okay. The last and final question before we get you back to your early evening on Pacific time. Yeah. If you could go on tour with any band from any era – be it a roadie or a, a plane in a instrument thing. Sure, like the triangle. Yeah, yeah. more cowbell, more cowbell. <laughs> well, um, I was, you know, the first album that I really bought as a kid because everybody goes through their Led Zeppelin phase, you know, when they're 13, 14, 15. And I was super into that. I was super into Led Zeppelin. Got really down in the geekdom of, uh, you know, when they did their BBC sessions and stuff like that. But to see that kind of power come out of a band um, that can last that long, really cool. Also, the other one would probably be the one concert I would love to bet at is go check this out on YouTube if you're a Pink Floyd fan. They did a concert in the Coliseum of Pompeii. 
um, in, uh, you know, the one that was uh, covered, it was it Vesuvius that, that covered it or I don't know, whatever, you know, in ancient times where they covered that whole city up, Pompeii. They played a full-out concert with no uh, concert goers, just them with massive speakers. You can find it on YouTube. It is amazing. I have to watch that with my kid tomorrow. It's like 25 minutes long. It's worth every second of listening to it. Mr. Mills, where can we find you on social media if we want to follow and maybe contribute and look sure. at all of your amazing flies? Thanks, man. You can find me on Instagram at MillsFly, M-I-L-L-S-F-L-Y. I still maintain my blog that I've run around with for the better half of 11 years at MillsFly.blogspot.com. And then uh, just, uh, let's see, what else am I missing here? Twitter, at MillsFly. And then, you know, Josh Mills on in, on uh, Facebook, but I will tell you, there are two fishing Josh Millses out there. One of them works for Yellow Dog, actually, and is an outfitter and guide out of West Yellowstone. I one time I got an email from this lady who's like, "Hey, uh, loved our trip on the Yellowstone. Can you send the picture of Bert and his large brown trout? Uh, here's a picture of me on the fire hole catching fish next to bison." And I'm like, "Uh, what?" I have to go on Facebook and find this other guy. I'm like, "Is this your guy?" And uh, now it's really interesting when Josh Mills likes Josh Mills's picture on uh, social media. See, I don't have to worry our about world, that with my name. But Trent our Jones, our buddy small. Trent Jones, there's like three Trent Joneses on Facebook and Instagram. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I used to think Mills was a uh, uncommon name, and then I opened the phone book when I was like 12. And I'm like, oh, it's like Smith. They just skipped over us. You know how many times <laughs> we get phone calls? Ugh. Is Sleepy home? <laughs> All the one time. Of my, like one of my favorite comedians. Night. One of my favorite comedians is Matt Bronger, and he's from Portland. And he, him, and his friends when they were young teenagers would try to find the weirdest names in uh, in uh, in all of Portland and prank call them. And the one that they settled on was Eggly Bagelface. That's pretty terrible. Yeah, I can't comment. No, no, Mr. Snow White. Yeah. <laughs> All right, dude. Well, thank you so much for your time. Hey, man, this is fantastic. And thanks for the opportunity to spin some yarns and, and talk fishing and talk aspirational stuff. And, and I'd love your podcast and feel honored to be a part of it. Thank you. And we'll have links for all the stuff you do and work with and whatnot, as the kids might say, up on the the iTunes and throw it on the blog. I right, do. <laughs> thank on you. On the interwebs for the Google machine. Yes. Right on, man. All right. Thanks. Cheers. Uh, Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. 
Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.